Welcome to Connor and Coverage. I don't know why I did the intro like that this week, but we are back. It is Tuesday night. Uh, for the first time here, we'll be talking about a Georgia loss night as Georgia fell 41-24 to Alabama over the weekend. However, season is not over yet. Georgia still has a playoff game. Preview that at some point, not tonight. I, I think tonight it's going to be more looking back and I'm obviously also looking ahead a little bit. We'll take your comments and questions, and that'll probably be the last time we talk about this game for a while until Georgia gets a rematch with Alabama, which I believe will end up happening. But first, I, I think it's only fair for us to go back and figure out what went wrong for Georgia against Alabama. And there's a lot to discuss there. And so that's sort of what we are doing with our show here tonight. Uh, as you can see in the headline, what is and isn't fixable because I think Georgia showed some flaws that had been there all year on Saturday. And then they did some things that were, I would say pretty out of character for them in terms of what they did and how they played in that game. But, Again, as we said, season's not over. Georgia still made the college football playoff. That is the reward for going 12-0 and in the regular season there. And so they're going to go play Michigan in Miami on December 31st. I will be there. I'm looking forward to it. I think there's obviously going to be pressure on Georgia to win that game. But the same point in time, you know, that's still a really big game for Georgia to win. They've been in a college football playoff before. I believe Darian Kendrick is the only player on this team to have played in a college football playoff game. But Georgia's got about a month now to to get back to the drawing board, something Nolan Smith said time and time again. Uh, a couple other players mentioned the game plan needs to get better uh, for Georgia coming out of that game against Alabama. And so that's sort of where we're going to start tonight in terms of what is fixable and what isn't because Georgia got embarrassed on Saturday in a number of different ways. It wasn't just the quarterback play. That defense, what we saw there in the second and third quarter from both a, an execution standpoint and a game planning standpoint was just not good enough. And it was not something that we had seen all that often from Georgia this year. For for Alabama to rattle off 31 straight points uh, on five consecutive possessions, that's losing football. And it's something Georgia hadn't done this season. And you know, looking ahead in terms of what's fixable and what isn't, we're going to start first with something that that sort of can be fixed and that's the defensive game plan because i think in in picking back over the carcass of this game that's the thing that to me stands out as the biggest just what happened there you know i i did not see it playing out in the manner that it did right there uh georgia came out and i, I think the thing that makes it as frustrating and again nolan smith said multiple times we needed a better game plan in playing alabama there and, and so you know, that's what makes Saturday's performance, specifically from the Georgia coaching staff, I, I think so alarming. You know, we all knew the, the, the way to attack this Alabama offense was out there. You know, Auburn showed it. LSU showed it. You got to play man up on the outside and you have to blitz and bring pressure. I believe we've all seen the numbers by now. Bryce, Bryce Young was 8 of 20, uh, you know, when blitzed. And I believe doing the math off the top of my head, he was something like 16 of 21 when he was not blitzed uh, or there were four or fewer rushers pressuring him. I, I, I mean, you know, I understand why Georgia played the manner in which it did. I, I think you have to first look back to last year when Georgia played Alabama and Georgia played a lot of man coverage in that game. And Tyson Campbell and Eric Stokes, as much as we like Darian Kendrick and Keely Ringo here, were just better cornerbacks a season ago than what Georgia has right now. And Alabama shredded them in that game. And so I absolutely believe Georgia felt that we have to come out and play a little bit more zone coverage. And in doing so, you know, 
it's something they haven't done a whole lot of this season. You know, obviously Kirby Smart has talked about wanting to play more zone and get better at playing zone. But at the end of the day, Kirby Smart in his nature, specifically since becoming the head coach of Georgia, he has been a man sort of coverage team. That's what all the sort of elite teams do. That That is the easy in college football. When you have superior athletes like Georgia more often than not does on the outside, you have to trust that you're able to play man coverage. You know, Darian Kendrick is going to be, uh, an NFL draft pick. I expect Keely Ringo one day to be an NFL draft pick. And so those guys are, you, you have to trust them that they're able to hold up on the outside. And early on in that game, that trust was not there. And they played a little bit of zone. They inserted William Poole into the starting lineup, a guy who had never started before. Chris Smith obviously played a ton in this game, did not start the first series, but played every defensive series after that. And so Georgia felt that they wanted to come out and play some zone and, and in talking to Kirby Smart about it after the fact, obviously the pass rush zero sacks against that offensive line. That's just not good enough. You know, Georgia came in and had 41 sacks on the season. Alabama had given up 35. That was second, or that was uh, 12th in the SEC, excuse me, in terms of sacks allowed this season. And for Alabama to shut out Georgia in that aspect, I think really showed a, a lot of the problems there. And you even saw, I think in the later stage of that game, again, Alabama only had one touchdown after halftime and was on their opening drive there. So, you know, later in the game, the pressure was at least getting too young. They didn't get him on the ground, but they did a better job in the second half of pressuring him there. And so I think if you do see a rematch there, that's one thing to keep in mind going forward. But in hearkening back a little bit to touching on zone defense, pay attention to what Kirby Smart says here at the end of this clip because I think that makes what Georgia did on Saturday all the more confusing and all the more frustrating if you are a fan of this team. So here's Kirby Smart initially talking about the pass rush, but he says something here about Alabama against zone defenses that really makes Saturday's game plan all the more befuddling. Yes, yeah, surprised. I don't know if that's the right word or disappointed, you know, that we weren't able to. And it's hard, Seth, because watching the tape, there were times we did not get pressure, okay? But when we pressured, we got pressure. We got beat. You know, we, 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 we didn't finish on the quarterback, meaning he, he out, you know, he outran a guy. He's really elite at avoiding bad plays, meaning you're about to get him and he gets rid of it and it's not a sack. Or he's going down and he throws a completion on third and four coming out off the goal line. And the next thing you know, they drive down and score. So, I mean, I, I, we got pressure. We didn't finish and we didn't cover uh, at a premium. And this probably has a lot to do with him, you know, him being a good athlete and their skill guys outside uh, beating us one on one. But when we, when we, against other teams, when we didn't have to pressure, you know, we didn't get exposed. Well, when you don't pressure this guy and you don't put a body on a body, he's so accurate and they're, they're dynamic against zone. Their numbers are just staggering when you play zone against them and they, they do a great job of that. You, you, you have to find ways to get him on the ground and pressure. So you hear Kirby Smart at the end there talking about Bryce Young versus zone. Say so the numbers there are staggering. Georgia knew that going into the game. You know, Arkansas played a lot of zone against Alabama and, and brung through for more, for more yards in that game than any Alabama quarterback has ever done so. And so you come out and you do that, and you don't trust yourselves to play man. Even though Auburn showed a week ago, that's how you have to play them. I think that's really concerning. And look, you know, football coaches – there, there's a very fine line between confidence and arrogance and college football coaches in general, they have to be confident to, to live in that world, to swim in the sec waters. You have to have confidence. And I think unfortunately with this Georgia defensive coaching staff, Kirby smart, Dan Lanning, Jamel Adai, Will Muschamp, 
Trey Scott, Glenn Schumann, the, the, the horde of analysts that they have. I thought they felt that, hey, you know, yes, Alabama has cut up zone defenses all year, but they don't have the athletes that we'd have. They don't have the front seven that we have, and we're going to be able to win that way. And they were just wrong. And, and it came back to bite Georgia in the worst way possible. Now, you saw them make some adjustments in there in the second half. I think maybe the biggest adjustment is that Alabama doesn't have John Mechie anymore. And I think if Georgia, and I do think when Georgia plays Alabama in a rematch, that is going to loom large. Now, Alabama is going to get a month and a game against Cincinnati to sort of figure out who emerges as that second receiver. Ja'Cory Brooks, uh, I, I believe, is the guy to watch there that sort of maybe takes up more receiving yards. Maybe they go to Julio Billingsley, their tight end, Cameron Leitu, and other tight end in there is there as well. But not having uh, John Mechie out there is going to have a sizable impact on that Alabama defense. And I think it makes it easier to play a little bit more man coverage out there. Obviously, you're going to have to double Jamison Williams. And even then, it's probably not going to be enough. As you saw, he, he is fast enough and good enough as a player uh, of just beating double coverage and making a play downfield. And so, as he did to start the third quarter there. So, you know, going forward, I would expect Georgia to revert back to a little bit more man, especially against the Michigan offense that is not that talented when it comes to their receivers, certainly not on the same level that we saw against Alabama. I expect Georgia to play a little bit more man. And, and, and obviously, they know, hey, Georgia was not a blitzing team. I believe they ranked 80th in the country in terms of blitz percentage. That just has to change and, and against Alabama. And they blitz more than they had in any game this season against Alabama. And I still think it wasn't enough. I still think you need to go out there and blitz more. You know, to, to quote Coach Yost from Remember the Titans, we blitz all night. That might be what Georgia honestly has to do to try and slow down Bryce Young, who I will say this, you know, I, I saw Joe, Joe Burrow in person. I've seen Tua Tungavailoa in person. I've seen a fair number of really talented quarterbacks in person. I don't know if I've ever seen a quarterback play better than what Bryce Young did on Saturday. He was just outstanding. And he, he and some of the plays he made, you just have to tip your cap to him. And, and, and there's not much you can do there. But I do think Georgia can attack him better and pressure him better. And I think that's something they can fix. And I think when you see Georgia play at uh, Alabama again, I do think that is something that will be fixed going forward. But something that's not going to get fixed, and it is on the defensive side of the ball here, and this will be our last defensive point, and then we're going to transition a little to the offensive side of the ball, which I'm sure that's what everyone wants to talk about. The depth in the defensive backfield, uh, it's razor thin. And I'm not sure how many people really realize that until Saturday, that first snap. You have a walk-on, Dan Jackson, who's been pretty good this season when asked to do so and fill a specific role. And William Poole, who had, as a fifth-year senior, had never started a game for Georgia. Those two guys were out there on the first series there for Georgia. Now, Chris Smith comes in in the second series and plays safety there for Georgia. But the defensive backfield has seen so many losses. And obviously, you lose four guys to the NFL draft last year. You lose DJ Daniel as well. You, you have so many losses at that one position in a draft, and then you factor in the transfer portal guys they've had leave. Otis Reese, I believe, started every game at Ole Miss this season. Devod Wilson started 11 games at Central Florida. Tyreek Stevenson started every game, every game at Miami. Major Burns was a big-time contributor for LSU before suffering a season-ending injury. All four of those guys who, who transferred away from Georgia for more playing time, which they found at other schools, would have helped contribute to Georgia on Saturday. And so I asked Kirby on Sunday's press conference, you know, how do you build depth over the course of the season? Because Georgia's so clearly been impacted and affected by that, that, you know, it showed up on Saturday. And despite signing, I think, 13 four-star or higher-rated recruits that played defensive back for Georgia, they're just really, really thin there right now. And that's why the injury to Chris Smith was so big because, yes, he was able to get it back out there and play. And I think this next month of recovery for him is going to be big. I think you could potentially see Georgia move him to the star position going forward. 
depth is just, it's something that despite you trying your hardest to develop guys, a guy like a Kamari Lasseter, guys like Javon Bullard, it's really hard, especially for really young players to just become key depth pieces in the span of, you know, 10, 13 games. And so I think that's really important to consider when you're looking at an Alabama passing offense that is able to attack you the way that Alabama is. And so I asked Kirby here both about how do you just improve depth over the course of a season, especially when you're battling injuries. And then also specifically, why did you make the decision to start and play William Poole as much as you did? And I will point out Latavius Brini, who has at times been a position of concern, but he's also made some very impressive plays there. You think a pass breakup in the end zone against Clemson and a pass breakup in the end zone against Auburn. Surely Alabama would have tried to target him, especially if they had him in man coverage. But for him to not play at all was, was surprising to me. So here's Kirby Smart talking about why it was William Poole at the star position and, and sort of how the depth situation is at Georgia secondary, a, a place he had said all season had been a concern for him. Yeah, it, it is hard to add to depth as anything. I mean, you're trying to grow the younger players, right? And we're trying to get those guys ready, whether it's Javon Bullard, uh, uh, David Daniel, um, Kamari Lasseter, to grow those guys and get them, uh, get them better and, and get them to where they can be you know, quality backups or starters. And I think all three of those guys have gotten a lot better because they've gotten so many reps uh, throughout practice and things, but they're not, they're not ready to start. They're not ahead of anybody else. And, you know, in some ways you do, you have who you have and you have to develop that roster, try to get them better. And, you know, our guys have, have played well at times this year and they, they've had each guy's had some poor plays, you know, where we haven't made plays on the ball downfield um, and our front has really protected them uh, a lot of the way. And that was, you know, it was evident last night when you get zero sacks um, and you, you pressure as much as we did, you're probably going to have um, some one-on-one situations that you don't win them all. So we're, we're going to go back to work at it, get really work really hard. And we felt like Poole gave us, you know, Poole worked at corner since he's been in our place. And he's really more corner by nature and covers and he's got some speed. And when you watch him last night, he covered some guys really well. And then we also had some some mental bust that we've got to help him with and and, and make it simpler uh, so that he can get out there and try to help us. But we felt like he would give us the best chance, especially with Chris um, being up in the air. You know, Chris wasn't able to practice much last week and only took a few reps. But thankfully, he was able to go in the game. But he was a, he was a guy that played star against Tennessee, and um, he just didn't get many reps this past week. Yeah, so Chris Smith, I think – when Georgia plays Alabama again, I would look for Georgia to employ him at that star position. Maybe you play Brini at safety. Maybe you play Dane Jackson at safety. But I think going forward, you know, the depth and defensive backfield situation is what it is. And looking ahead, you know, Darian Kendrick's going to go to the NFL next year. Lewisine, Chris Smith, probably following him there as well. Georgia's secondary is going to be very thin. That's why you're seeing them go out. They've signed – they're about to sign, excuse me, Julian Humphrey, cornerback out of Texas – uh, Malachi Starks is going to play safety for them. He's probably going to have to play early for Georgia next year. Five-star out of Jefferson, Georgia. They have a commitment right now from Jaheim Singletary out of Florida. Five-star cornerback. Um, trying to think. I believe there's one more cornerback that I am missing or one more defensive back prospect that I am missing. But they're also, you know, as much as you want to rely on those guys, they've also been impacted by injury. No Jalen Kimber since the South Carolina game as he had a shoulder injury and just was unable to play through it and play up to where he could. I think he could have helped this team. I think maybe you have him emerge as a corner. Maybe you play Keely Ringo more as a playmaker there in that star role and move him there and, and sort of see how that goes. Move sort of like Mika Fitzpatrick did for Kirby, for this Alabama defenses back in the mid-2010s. 
uh, Tyke Smith, a guy a lot of people thought was going to be the starting star this year. He goes down with a foot injury in preseason and tears his ACL right as he gets healthy from that. So the depth in this secondary for a variety of reasons, obviously you have guys going to the NFL, you have transfers, you have injuries there, have greatly impacted this this position and it shows just how razor thin they are. And, and against a passing offense like Alabama where you have a wide receiver in Jamison Williams who's going to be a first-round pick, you have a guy in John Mechie who's going to go play for a long time in the NFL – to be that thin in the secondary makes it really difficult and limits what you're able to do. I think if they had more bodies out there, perhaps they feel more comfortable playing man-to-man coverage. But that's just not the case with this Georgia team at this point in time. That's not something that's going to get better in the next month you know, to six weeks when Georgia potentially plays Alabama again. You know, Tyke Smith and Jalen Kimber aren't coming back for the national title game. So you sort of have to live with what you live and hope that you don't have any more injuries. You don't, you know, Chris Smith's knee injury continues to get better and doesn't get worse that Darian Kendrick and Keely Ringo are able to make it healthy. And Lewis Cien are making it through that Michigan game, which figures to be a very physical football game because if Georgia takes too many more hits in the secondary, it might not matter, you know, sort of what game plan they have. If they just don't have the dudes back there to cover, they are razor thin right now at that position. And so I think going forward, that's what we're going to see. And it's something you hope you go out and get recruits there, but they're probably going to have to the transfer portal again to bring guys in to try and help sure up this secondary as they tried to do last year. They brought in Darian Kendrick, tried to bring in Brandon Turnage, and he ends up, you know, seeing, oh, wait, I'm more of a depth piece than a starter. And so he ends up transferring away or, or, or enrolling at Tennessee rather than Georgia, so to speak. So it's something that Georgia's going to have to rectify. And you have, again, sort of similar to like the offensive line. When you lose that much talent in one cycle, it is not a quick fix. It has taken the offensive line a while, and as well as they pass block. And I actually will say the offensive line, I thought, did about as good a job as you could imagine on Saturday, given who Alabama has in their defensive front. You know, it's still, it's not back to that 2017, 2018, even 2019 level when they had those guys there. So the defensive backfield, it is what it is right now. I, I think it's safe to say this is a weakness for this Georgia team. It might be the biggest weakness on the team that it has right now. And it's not something that's going to get fixed. You really just need to rely on Keely Ringo and Darian Kendrick winning those one-on-one battles downfield. And that's, that's going to be very telling against Alabama, I think, when they see them in the national title game. So that's sort of covering it from the defensive side, which I will tell you right now, I think that's the reason they lost on Saturday. I, I, I know, and we're going to talk about Stetson Bennett. We're going to talk about the quarterback situation going forward. But that's not, to me, the reason they lost that game. Stetson Bennett threw his last pass in the second quarter. It was 17-17. He had thrown a touchdown pass to Lad McConkey. Next time he dropped back to pass in the third quarter, they were down 31-17. And that makes it very tough to win when, when you're sort of forced to play one way. So before getting into that, though, we're going to start with a positive here on the offensive side of the ball. And that's the involvement of George Pickens. Uh, George played last week against Alabama. I know, obviously, he made his first comeback there against Georgia Tech. Had that great catch on Kool-Aid McKinstry there in the first quarter. And that's something I think Georgia wants to see more of. He only played 12 snaps in the game, I believe. And so, you know, as he continues to get his feet under him and as he, I think, continues to become a bigger part of this first-team offense, that's going to make the life easier of this entire passing offense because what you saw on Saturday was – Brock Bowers is a difference maker. That guy in a, on a field with elite athletes, you know, if Bryce Young is the best player on the field there, Brock Bowers may have been the second best player on, on either side on Saturday. It doesn't matter if he was in triple coverage. He was making plays consistently in that game there for Georgia. And so having a guy like Pickens and having a guy like Brock Bowers 
makes it really difficult for you to defend that because you have Pickens who's going to draw attention to the outside, provided that Georgia is willing to throw them out there, and then you have Bowers running over the middle. You're not going to be able to split them. You're going to have to decide who is more important to take away. And even if you decide who's more important to take away, I think you saw with Brock Bowers on Saturday, those guys are so gifted, it might not matter. You know, George Pickens, and again, even on that catch that he had on McKinstry, he wasn't running full speed. He wasn't, you know, running like the George Pickens we saw of old. And he still went up there and he still hung in the air for what felt like 10 seconds and came down with the ball. And that just speaks to how good of an athlete he is and how much of a difference maker I think he can potentially can be with more playing time and more reps. As I mentioned earlier, only played about 12 snaps. And so if you're able to, over the next month, continue to help integrate him into the offense, he continues to get his feet back under him. You know, obviously he's not going to have a game like I think that you saw Bowers have, but if you're able to target him and get him to where defenses absolutely have to worry about him as much as they have to about Bowers on a play-by-play basis, if Pickens in and of himself is able to get his snap count up, I think that's going to help this Georgia passing offense and this Georgia offense as a whole a lot more. And so here's Kirby Smart talking about George Pickens, where he is at, how they can potentially get more from him as Georgia plays Michigan in the college football playoff semifinals down there in the Orange Bowl and then potentially rematches with Alabama in the national championship game. Yeah, he worked a little more this last week, and it's a progression that we feel like we're comfortable with, we feel like he's comfortable with, we feel like the doctors are comfortable with in terms of volume. And and some of that's on him from a conditioning standpoint that he continues to work on. And some of it's the ability to, to, to get the reps. You can't catch up the reps and get everything that happens. But I thought he did a nice job last night in the role he was in um, of understanding what, what his job was. You know, he made a, a couple plays. I don't know how many plays he ended up playing um, but he certainly is, is growing in that. And some of that is also, you know, we have some other guys who are talented and we were able to throw the ball vertical. And a lot of them ended up being pass interferences and things like that uh, that prevented big plays. Um, but George is, is a guy that's, number one, he's not 100%. He's not his old self yet. We see that from some of the numbers, but he is getting better. He's improving. And if he continues to work like he is or he has, he's going to get more opportunities. And that's big for this Georgia passing offense. They do need Pickens out there more because, again, the threat of him out there, and as you saw against Alabama, if he's able to make a few of those catches, it's going to make this offense all the more dynamic. But having said all that, uh, I'm going to probably end up regretting this as we move into the question and answer portion of this where we'll take your questions and answer them. And I'm sure you guys obviously want your pound of of flesh. Uh, Quarterback position. I, I, I don't know what to tell you at this point. Uh, Stetson Bennett, obviously, I think he played better than he did against Alabama last season, but the result ends up being the same. And as I have said, and as I have written since, Stetson Bennett did not lose Georgia that game. If you were coming, coming in here and saying, you know, we didn't beat Alabama because of Stetson Bennett, we lost Alabama because of Stetson Bennett, that's just not the case. However, when you fall behind two touchdowns and when you're down 31-17 and your defense finally does start getting stops and Stetson Bennett is unable to execute in the red zone, something that has been a consistent theme for Georgia this season. They have struggled scoring touchdowns in the red zone and that reared its ugly head in the third quarter there where Stetson drove him down there and he deserves credit for that. But they had two possessions in the red zone and they got zero points there in the third quarter. And if they score one time, it turns it into a one possession game. And if they score both times, score touchdowns both times, 
And, you know, Kirby Smart said it because I'd asked him about this on Saturday. You know, if we kick the field goal there or whatever, he made the right call on fourth and nine throwing for it there and needing to pick up a touchdown there because touchdowns or field goals were not beating Alabama that day. They need touchdowns in the red zone. Four drives in the red zone, 10 points from Stetson Bennett. That's not good enough. It's not. And if you had said that before the game, I would have told you the exact same thing. Georgia needs touchdowns. They need, you know, maybe not 28 points, you know, going four for four would have been a, a very impressive from Georgia there. And I, that's just something we haven't seen. And obviously you factor in the third down numbers. I believe Georgia went three of 12 for third down against Alabama. Third down's a money down. And that's when the great quarterbacks rise and make those throws when everyone in the building knows they're throwing it. And Stetson was unable to do so. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the thing that makes some of this so difficult is you, you do have JT Daniels out there over on the bench. And, I think there's a misconception about what JT is. You know, a lot of people think he is a savior. Uh, I know my colleague, Mike Griffith, went on Paul Feinbaum and said, Georgia makes a switch at quarterback, Georgia wins a national championship. If JT Daniels was a national championship quarterback, if he was as good as Bryce Young, JT Daniels would not even be at Georgia. He would have stayed at USC. He would have been felt confident enough that he was going to beat out Keaton Slovis. He'd probably be in the NFL by now if he was that type of quarterback. Now, I have said time and time again, I believe JT Daniels has a higher upside, specifically within the way this Georgia offense is geared. And it's not a good run blocking team. Georgia needs to be able to throw the ball to win. And so because of that, I think you're going to, that's where this, just, this offense sort of suits JT's skill set. You can say, yes, Stetson Bennett locked on to Brock Bowers. Did, did JT not lock on to George Pickens last season? You know, JT has his warts as well. And you can even look back. He was not great in that Cincinnati game. Good enough to get Georgia a win in that day. But I'm not sitting here telling you that was a spectacular quarterback performance because it was just straight not. You look back at this Clemson game last year, and I can already hear you saying he was hurt. You know, JT's always been hurt. He has not played a full season of college. Despite him being in college for four years, he has yet to go through a college season without getting hurt. Uh, You know, that is something that you very clearly just have to live with with JT. He hurt his oblique at the end of camp re-aggravated on the first play of the Clemson game, comes back, starts against South Carolina, then has a lat injury there in that Vanderbilt game, and he has to miss a month. You know, you cannot bank on JT Daniels being healthy for you. And so that is why I understand Georgia riding with Stetson Bennett in the manner in which they have. Whether or not Kirby Smart makes a quarterback switch, who knows? He's, he's done it where he moved on very quickly from Dwan Mathis. He stuck to his guns with Jake Fromm in 2018, and obviously we saw how that plays out with Justin Fields then leaving. So what ends up happening here with Stetson and JT Kirby was asked about that on Sunday. And if you were expecting, you know, your pound of flesh, so to speak, you were expecting him to say, yeah, we're going to come out and start JT. You know, we're done with Stetson. You haven't been paying attention to literally anything Kirby smart has said about the quarterback position over this course of this season. Here is again, what Kirby smart has said, which to be quite frank is not all that different than anything he said at any point this season. We have a decision to make every week at every position, but I have the utmost confidence in Stetson Bennett and think he did some really nice things tonight. You know, but we, we go and reevaluate everything all the time, but you know, he played well and uh, it's tough, tough environment. We put him in defensively and didn't, you know, we have to be able to run the ball and have a little bit of semblance of balance. And I felt like there was times a night that we were getting into a, you know, a scoring contest because our, our defense didn't get stops. Um, and you don't want to have to do that. But I certainly have a lot of confidence in Stetson, and I have a lot of confidence in JT too. Yeah, and what you don't see there was Stetson Bennett was sitting like two feet next to Kirby Smart there. So if you expected Kirby to trash Stetson in that moment, that's just not who Kirby Smart is as a coach or as a person. And, and obviously – Stetson, I think by now, has shown he has his limitations. And against Alabama, 
He's played them twice. He's thrown five interceptions in that game. The score has been 41-24, playing out in very similar fashion. Georgia has been able to hang with Alabama for a half, but when Alabama hits those turbo boosters, Stetson Bennett just has not been able to keep up. Whether or not Kirby Smart makes a change, I'm not sure it matters all that much against Michigan. I think Georgia's going to have to win. The way it has to win against Michigan is going to be very different than the way it potentially has to win against Alabama if and when they get a rematch there in the national championship game. But having said that, look, I, I can't sit here and tell you we're going to see JT Daniels because I think if Georgia felt comfortable, if Georgia, if Georgia coaches felt the comfort that the fan base and certain sections of the fan base had in JT Daniels, we'd have seen him at this point. There's clearly more to this story that we're just not going to know, and we might not ever know. And, you know, much like the the Justin Fields, Jake Fromm situation, that 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 changes every. That story seems to add layers to it every couple of weeks, every couple of months. And so this quarterback position, I can't tell you that it's going to be fixable against Alabama. You know, obviously Georgia ideally would not want to get in a shootout type of game, but as I've said time and time again. Georgia needs to score 30 points to beat Alabama. They only scored 24. You know, I jokingly sent a tweet when they were down 38-17 after Stetson had thrown a pick six there. That Brock Bowers touchdown in the fourth quarter was the first time Kirby Smart had ever scored points in the fourth quarter against Alabama. They need more of that. And so, you know, do we see that change? I don't know. I'll say gut feeling right now. I'm not sure JT Daniels or Stetson Benner are on this roster next season. Uh, I think Georgia just needs a, a fresh start from what this quarterback situation has been the last two years. And, and personally speaking, again, this is more speculative based than actually hard fact, but we do speculate here from time to time. I think Georgia needs to bet big on Brock Bauer or Brock Vandergriff, excuse me. You know, obviously they need to bet big on, uh, on Brock Bowers, but at a certain point you need to, to trust and develop that you're going that you're going to be able to develop a quarterback from his time as a recruit up through the process because they've shown they're able to land these these talented guys but you actually need to go out there and trust him and play him and you know that hasn't really existed for Kirby Smart and I think he's going to be forced to do so next year and I, the guy I would go with is Brock Vandergriff he's the best athlete of the bunch you know you hear this year and you see this year the, the ability, the mobility that Stetson possesses. I know people wanted to see him run more, and there are some people out there that say, oh, you know, he's not running that much. If you want to leave JT Daniels, who is not a mobile threat at all, back there to get teed off on by Will Anderson in, in that Alabama defense, that's a losing recipe there. Now, they might have to be forced to do that, and you just have to hope Jamari Sawyer and Warren McClendon are able to hold up there on the edge. The guys in the interior are capable enough pass blockers to pick up the twists and stunts. But Stetson's mobility matters. And so does it matter more than JT's passing ability and specifically how well he had done on third downs against admittedly inferior competition in South Carolina and Vanderbilt. But, you know, it's something to consider as well going forward, just given we've seen how Stetson Bennett has played against Alabama twice now. And, you know, if there's a third time, if, if Kirby sticks with Stetson, it's going to be a real difficult question to answer if it doesn't end up well. Of course, you know, if the defense plays better and they get more stops and, and, and Stetson – Again, the, the other issue with Stetson is that he makes those two to three turnovers per turnover possible plays per game. You saw Alabama drop one in the first quarter. They had two in the second half, and that swung and shut the door shut there for Georgia that day. So that's it on the quarterback position. I can't sit here and tell you what you're going to see because, frankly, I think Kirby Smart has shown you his hand. I think if he truly believed that JT Daniels was a national championship difference-making quarterback – We'd be seeing him right now. It's not stubbornness. Kobe Smart knows a lot more about football than anybody watching this show right now, including myself. And, and so for anyone that wants to sit there and say Kirby's messing this up, Kirby knows what he is doing. And so 
whether or not Georgia gets what it needs to out of the quarterback position. Ultimately, you're going to have to see that happen on the field against Alabama in the national championship game to get to that standpoint and conclusion. Because I do think Michigan does not match up very well with this Georgia team and what they want to do. So I think that's going to be you know something to watch for going forward. And we're still going to have questions about this even after the college football playoff game in the event that Georgia wins it. So that's it on the quarterback situation. I'm sure there are a gazillion comments on there on it right now. And I'm just going to dive right in and open it up and, and see what it is. I will say we're not if you're doing anything personal, if you're doing anything that is away from the game of football, I'm just telling you right now, we're not reading that. We're not doing that here. Uh, let's see. Uh, Robert Maloney, I, you pretty clearly didn't watch the first half of the show. I wouldn't exactly pump and chunch that in here. Uh, let's see. Comments, questions, thoughts. I never said that it was game changing, uh, Mike Anderson, but it's a factor, uh, um, you know, against a pass rush there. I think that's, that's what you need. That, that is a factor in why he has been able to play, especially because I think we can all agree this offensive line, it's capable, but it's not great. And so the ability to move around there, I think that's something important there as well. And as, as predicted, I'm sure there are a lot of, you know, thoughts, comments, and questions there. So, yeah, and, and this is another funny thing about JT. And, and Davin Bellamy made a comment, you know, you need a guy that can make all the throws. G. Boy says this here, and, and I agree with him. For years, the, the, the book on Bama was that if you wanted to beat them, you needed a mobile quarterback. Uh, you needed someone who can make plays and create plays with his legs. JT Daniels can't do that. And so, you know, that, that's really interesting to see how that has changed since then. Because even you look back to Joe Burrow, who, you know, is a more thrower than a runner. He was a very capable rushing threat. And if I'm remembering correctly, picked up a pretty huge third down in that game in 2019 against Alabama with his legs there. So, uh, Brian Kephart agreeing, you know, I'm not sure what's going to, what's going to change in there. Um, again, Georgia's just going to have to blitz more and they're going to have to trust. And I'll say this, Nolan Smith and some of those edge rushers, they have to win more. Now, Bama's going to get out, get the ball out of there quick out of, out of Bryce Young's hands. They made a lot of quick read throws sometimes. And so obviously that's going to be something there to watch going forward as well, but they need that front seven to win. Uh, and you know, they just didn't do that enough on Saturday. Uh, Williams is such a good receiver. You're obviously going to have to try and double team him and and have other guys on Alabama beat you. And I think that's a lot easier without John Mechie now, but you know, Ja'Cory Brooks is a five-star wide receiver and we could absolutely see him blow up. Julio Billingsley is as talented as anyone on that Alabama team. He just hasn't been consistent. So I, you know, Brian, to answer your question, you know, Auburn showed you the scheme. Auburn showed you the blueprint and what to do. Georgia, for whatever reason, just did not follow through on that. And, and so, you know, I don't believe the whole conspiracy that, oh, they were trying to get two SEC teams in and they were being vanilla because they knew they had a second game. You know, I, I, I think it's kind of hubris, so to speak, that they felt that they could play zone and, and beat Bama and they were just wrong. And, you know, they ultimately paid for it. Marcinio asked you, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I, I, they did abandon the run there, but I, I think the strength that this Georgia team is not a good, this Georgia is not a good power rushing team. They, you know, they do have to get creative to, to find rushing yards there. So, 
And with the way this Bama defense is built, they have a good front seven when it comes to run stuffing. It's that middle of the field where they are very, in my opinion, weak and able to be exploited. And I think you saw Brock Bowers do that to perfection on on Saturday. So, you know, a play calling standpoint, I'm not sure I have a huge issue there with it. If I wanted to nitpick a little bit, I, I think that second red zone drive where it's third and nine, and they make a pass to the end zone, which was a good pass from Stetson. Brock Bowers got his hands on it. Safety just made a play and knocked it out of there. Instead of maybe throwing to the end zone there when you know you're going to end up going for it, I treat it as a situation. You got two plays to get nine yards there because fourth and four, fourth and five even, is a lot more manageable than fourth and nine. And, and, and I think that's why you saw that play out the way that it did. Yeah, Adam Cummings, uh, this is – this is really interesting. And, you know, Brittany obviously has some limitations he's had over the course of the season. But to not see him at all, that's that's really, really interesting. Um, and the decision there to do that. So where that comes from, you know, we'll see. I think you see him against Michigan. But, you know, e- even this, the explanation there for Poole, you know, if he's more of a corner – why not play a guy like like an Amir Speed there in Star, you know? And even you know when things started going south there, and there were a number of coverage busts, uh, to not see Brini at all w- was pretty surprising to me. Uh, Taylor Height, and I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name there. Can you hold him to 28, 27? Uh, you know, obviously you can't throw pick sixes, and, and that's on Stetson, and it was almost verbatim the exact same throw he made a year ago against Alabama where he's just literally thrown it straight to an Alabama defender. You can't have that. But if you take away that, Alabama only had one offensive touchdown and they scored 10 points there in the second half. So, again, I've said you need to score 30. Can you get to 31? 35 would be great. Stetson right now is only able to get Georgia to 24 points. And, you know, I think we know what he is in terms of red zone execution out there. So... We'll see. And, you know, that's something where situationally Stetson Bennett has not been great on third down and red zone. And, you know, he's great at keeping Georgia on schedule and ahead of schedule there. But again, as I've said, and I think there's a big misconception out there. I said JT is the more talented quarterback, but I'm also based in reality right now. And Kirby's shown that he's going to stick with Stetson Bennett. And, And so I think JT might be a better quarterback. Kirby Smart to this point has disagreed with that sentiment. So we'll see where it goes from here. But, you know, Georgia needs to get to 35 points, 31 points offensively. I think Georgia's defense, asking them to hold Alabama to 27, 28 points, 24 points, I don't think that's too ridiculous to ask. Uh, Josh Beattie, so yeah, we'll answer some Michigan questions here. Um, Michigan wants to run the football. They have some very good running backs. Hassan Haskins, as you saw, just out-physicaled in Ohio State defense. Blake Horm is a very good running back as well. Donovan Edwards is a name Georgia recruiting fans know there as well. But against Jordan Davis, and I'll say this for for Jordan, I don't know how much you can play him against Alabama, just given how much they're clearly not interested in running the football and how much you have to throw in that game. I think when you see Georgia play Alabama again, I would expect a lot more Devontae White and Jalen Carter there in the middle than Jordan Davis necessarily. But you know, it's an Alabama team that wants to run the ball. Georgia's great at stopping the run there. The quarterback, Cade McNamara, does not exactly strike the same kind of fear that Bryce Young does. And and on the outside where they have some good tight ends, they are not nearly as good or as dangerous as those wide, uh, those Alabama wide receivers. And even those Alabama tight ends are 
defensively, they've got two great rush edge rush ends, and it's going to be an interesting way to see how Georgia goes about attacking this out this um this Michigan defense because again, I think you're going to have to try and throw the ball. I mean, you saw Ohio State have some success there, and this Georgia team is just not a great running team, and so you know. Is that maybe the game that you see JT Daniels at? One thing I will note, we're going down to Miami. Kirby Smart can't protect or, or eschew practice visibility the same way he can in Athens because a lot of this is regulated by the bowl. So we're going to get to see more practice time. We're going to get to ask more questions. We're going to get to talk to Todd Munkin. We're going to get to find out and learn some things down there that we're not normally privy to. And so I do think that we're going to know a little bit more about Georgia than we normally would going into this game. So I think that's going to be interesting there to see. Uh, Richard D's again, it's not the answer anyone wants to hear, but I think right now it's going to be Stetson unless we get down there and, and Kirby smart makes the switch. Uh, I think you're asking me right now. I think it's going to be Stetson Bennett. Uh, refer- Ooh, hold on. Reformation logistics. Um, hold on. Cause I do want to answer this question. Um, I'm not talking about Jake Fromm at all. Uh, but okay. So it disappeared because there are just a gazillion comments right now. Um, reformation logistics had essentially asked, you know, is there anyone in the transfer portal that interests you? And I said earlier, I don't think Stetson Bennett and JT Daniels are quarterbacking this team next season. Just before this show started, Mac Johnson went to the transfer portal. Mac Johnson was a starter at LSU this season. Obviously, not the five-star player, but he was a good player, I think, this year for LSU and has shown some real flashes there in an incredibly tough and unstable situation. And I think he is someone who, if you told me Georgia went to the transfer portal for a quarterback, A, I wouldn't be surprised, and B, I think Johnson is a capable guy who's shown you he can be a starter in this league. The thing that makes it very interesting is that Max Johnson, who is from Oconee County, uh, went to Oconee County High School, has a brother, Jake Johnson, who is actually the number one tight end in the 2022 recruiting cycle. I imagine they're going to want to play together because that was the plan that they were going to do at LSU. And I would point out there as well, their dad, Brad Johnson, very close to Mark Rick there as well. But George already has a tight end commitment in Oscar Delp, who I believe is a very, very good player. And, And so... You know, obviously, it's going to be interesting to see how that sort of plays out. But Max Johnson is a player. If if I'm Georgia and I'm looking to to add a quarterback through the transfer portal, I wouldn't touch Spencer Rattler. Uh, I have no interest in that guy. Uh, from following him on Netflix to seeing the way things panned out at Oklahoma, I'm sorry, I'll pass there. Um, again, you know, it, I if I'm making the decision and I am not, and probably good reason I'm not making a decision at quarterback. I ride with Brock Vandergriff. Uh, you know, sure, he's got some learning curves and, and some bumps to, and bruises to get through and some some experience that he needs, but I believe in the talent there, and I think with what we've seen from Todd Munkin this year and what we want to see, I do think that Brock Vandergriff is a guy next year that can do that and give that to you there. Um, so we'll see, and transfer portal is going to keep on spinning. I'm sure Caleb Williams at some point will pop up there, though. I think if he enters the transfer portal, he's going to USC to, to follow Lincoln Riley there. So that's how it'll be. Um, let's see. We'll probably do one or two more comments here. Uh, yeah, so Jeep Bama Boy brings up Jake Johnson is the name of the tight end. Um, again, I think they're going to go play together. And so it makes it very, very interesting. Uh, Coleman Wallace. I don't think I, I 
firmly believe from an offensive standpoint, Michigan does not have the horses to, um, to do what Alabama did offensively. Defensively, they're probably better than Alabama. I will give them that. But I do think as Michigan State showed you this year, as even Ohio State, you know, was able to move the ball on them, you know, this defense is good and it's talented and you better stay out of third down situations and not find yourself in anything third or five or longer because those rush ends, Aiden Hutchinson and David Jobo or Jerbo, I, I'm going to learn how to pronounce his name at some point. I just haven't had the chance to do so. Those guys are studs coming off the end. Hutchinson is a Heisman finalist and he might very well end up being the number one pick. So you've got to stay on schedule against this Michigan defense. Uh, JCP, I don't think Elias Ricks is going to end up coming to Georgia. Um, and I think Georgia likes what it has in the cornerback situation. Obviously, Darian Kendrick's going to move on, but you know, Jalen Kemper had a really impressive spring and I think would have maybe even ended up beating out Keely Ringo as a starting cornerback there. You get him healthy. You like what you have back there. They're going to bring in guys like Julian Humphrey. You get another year of, say, Nyland Green and a Kamari Lassiter as well. So while I understand obvious, the obvious fascination with Ricks, he's a fantastic player. I think Georgia likes what it has at cornerback so much that Elias Ricks right now isn't necessarily the need that Georgia needs to target. I would, if I'm targeting something there, I, I look for an outside linebacker and I look for help at the wide receiver position. Obviously, Jane Hazelwood going to Arkansas. It's not that surprising when you consider his high school coach as the running backs coach there at Arkansas. And then you see the success that Traylon Burks had this year. So I think while a lot of people that caught a lot of people's attention, I'm not all that surprised that, that Hazelwood ends up there at Oklahoma. Let's see. Uh, David Rill. So the Georgia team will head down to Miami on December 26th and they will be there Monday to Friday. So sort of, it, it is at least as close to a regular practice week. And they're obviously going to have practice the week before. Uh, they're currently off right now as they deal with finals and whatnot. But once they get through that, they'll start practicing, have practice in Athens right up until the run, run up to Christmas and then leave from Athens the day after Christmas. Uh, Hugh Nash, no, Jalen Kimber's not going to play. He had, uh, I believe, labrum surgery, and that is that is a long-term injury uh, that takes a while to 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 recover from. Uh, I do I do like your idea of, of Ringo at star potentially, but I think he's impressed as a corner. And you know, obviously, he gave up the long touchdown there, but I thought more often than not, he actually held up pretty well there for Georgia on Saturday. I think you're going to see Chris Smith at the star. Uh, I think that's what Georgia wants to do. I, I think they feel better about that than necessarily him at safety and say William Pooler or Latavius Brini at that star position. Uh, Jimmy Durham. Yes, I'm going to have a show next week. Uh, it'll be the night before signing day. So I imagine we can do, um, we can obviously talk some recruiting there and where things are going. You know, some big names are obviously starting to emerge as far as who might be deciding that day. Kamari Wilson, uh, four-star linebacker Shamar James is someone who Georgia is recruiting very heavily right now. Marvin Jones Jr., pass rusher out of Florida, is a name to watch. Uh, the recruiting cycle is really going to pick up here in the coming days. Uh, Derek Eady, yeah, I, I thought James Cook and Kenny McIntosh both played well. Um, you know, for as much as we want to dump and forget that game, there were some players that had some real positive moments. Devontae Wyatt, I have no qualms with him. I thought he played outstanding. You know, that hustle play where he he stripped uh, Bryce Young, uh, he really flashed for me in that game and really impressed me, e even beyond the season that he has had to this point in the season there. Uh, James Cook and Kenny McIntosh, I mentioned. Obviously, Brock Bowers was outstanding in that game. I thought Jamari Sawyer on a bad foot, 
did an incredible job against Will Anderson in pass coverage. He only had one sack. He came at the very end of the game there. So with what you saw from that matchup, I do think you feel pretty good there. So we'll watch that going forward there as well. So while you know, obviously for a lot of guys, it was a tough day. I do think they did some good things there. So, you know what? Uh, let's see. Randy Martin, JT does have an extra year uh, of eligibility. He has used four years. And one thing to note is that if he were to transfer, uh, he will need to graduate first to transfer again since he has already transferred to Georgia. So, JT, I expect to be here through spring practice. Uh, Randy Hall, Tyke Smith. Yes, Tyke Smith will be back next season. However, he will not be playing in the playoff game. Uh, the the ACL injury obviously takes a while to come from. I think the hope there is that you get him back for that game, or for the for for spring practice, and obviously you take that cautiously, and then hope he is 100% ready to go, hit the ground running when Georgia starts fall camp for the 2022 season. But they're going to need Tyke Smith next season, given some of the further attrition that they're going to see in the secondary there. So. And obviously, I, I see the the free JT comments. So that's probably our sign that we're gonna we're gonna call it a night here. Uh, you have uh, before the hedges tomorrow night eight ten ish. Usually is when that starts. You have uh, cover four live. We're gonna do that probably around seven thirty ish on Thursday night. We have not done one of those in a minute, so I figure that'll be pretty good. Spinning ahead, probably spinning back one last time. Uh, you have Brandon Adams every Monday through Friday starting at 9.45. And then obviously you have Mike Griffith starting on On the Beat, 7.30 to 8.30 usually there for Mr. Griffith with his show. Connor and Coverage were here every Tuesday night. I'm not going to lie, that Alabama game sucked. Flush it. We'll move on from it. We'll talk about recruiting next week. When we're back next Tuesday, we'll dive deeper into Michigan and what they'll bring. As crummy as Saturday was, season is not over. As sort of the theme for the show tonight, Georgia has things it can fix, and I think there's a good chance you see them fix that against Michigan, and I do think we get a rematch there against Alabama to end the season. So this has been Connor in Coverage. My name is Connor Riley for Dog Nation. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week at 8 p.m. Thanks for tuning in, guys.